A young woman has inherited a derelict Louisiana hotel from her rich uncle, and she plans to renovate and run the place. What she doesn't know is that the hotel was built atop one of the seven entrances to hell, and all manner of ghostly, demonic, and monstrous things are coming out of the gate. Can she unravel the mystery and somehow stop these things? Find out today as we discuss the 1981 Italian horror flick, The Beyond. I'm Connor Azagari. I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to episode 131 of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm here with Josh Allred, who has handpicked today's episode as a way to introduce me to the work of Italian horror master Lucio Fulci. Hell of an introduction, I must say. Yeah. Um, so pulling a quote from a producer, uh, Fabrizio uh, De Angelis, he said, either you love him or you hate him. <laughs> and as as binary as that might sound, he's actually like pretty well regarded by a lot of his peers, um, as well as uh, any any like gorehound people that really love special effects heavy films, um, and anybody that really really enjoys um, Italian horror movies. Um, I'll I'll kind of get into it a little bit when we start to kind of talk about who he is, um, kind of where he came from, why he ended up making horror movies, um, because his career before this um, was all comedies and musicals. He didn't, you know, and he did some historical movies, uh, some Westerns, um, and he just, it, this was not something that he was, he was really like looking to. Um, and in a way, it kind of, reignited his career and also probably had him like become one of the most famous uh, Italian directors um, you know after somebody like Fellini uh, and you know Antonioni and things like that yeah. well he's I've, I've certainly I knew the name for sure Lucio Fulci I mean you don't become a horror buff if you don't know at least who Lucio Fulci is and uh, like Honestly, my introduction to his name was the little Easter egg from Shaun of the Dead, where they call Fulci's restaurant to make, try to make a reservation. Uh, but yeah, I have not checked out his work till now. And uh, it's intriguing. Uh, I'm not like I'm not throwing away. I will for sure be checking out more of his work. But I like what you told me before we recorded that he is a guy you kind of need to see more than once to fully appreciate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um I mean, I told you uh, before we started recording that when I first started watching his movies, it was it was hard because, you know, as as somebody who grows up in America, watching American movies and um, especially Hollywood with their reliance on narrative to drive a movie, um, you you come you come to a point where you're like you're not really sure what you're watching because when these Italian flicks are made, um, plot is almost secondary to like the aesthetic, yeah. the music, um, and the special effects, like basically everything other than the narrative is secondary to all of these other elements, which I think when you take them and, and, and 
think about them in the context of the whole movie they they use almost every tool they have in their toolbox as filmmakers to to make their movies um you know um there's there's jokes you can make about how cheap these movies are made and how the fact that a lot of them are dubbed and oddly enough the people who uh speak english are dubbing their own voices which is funny to me like what like how does that even happen um so you kind of you kind of just have to accept that these are what they are um because you had you would have english actors you would have italian actors who are doing their best to speak english lines so that when their voices are dubbed you can the the, the mouth will match up so like you just kind of have to just go with it you can't you can't expect something to be like emotionally like impactful or anything like you just have to be like okay this movie's gonna be weird it's gonna be clunky but damn it if you're not gonna leave entertained that is the one thing i will say about italian horror movies is like they are entertaining as fuck that's true that's true seems like lately on all of these podcasts i've been just steeped in italian movies i mean we had a whole we did uh la strada on oscar sunday a few weeks ago and uh and there's just been i was not a fan of fellini's films for the most part and then i you know we do we end up doing fulci here and i can see there's like a there's a lot of italian kind of style in both these directors and i'm only comparing them because i've kind of been introduced to their work at roughly the same time and uh, I like Fulci better. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, and and one of the things, one of the things people who worked with Fulci always said about him was that he is technically like that was that was one of his strengths, the technique and how to how to look at a script because he was a screenwriter as well. At one point, that's how he kind of got started. Um, Oddly enough, medical school didn't didn't strike his fancy, so he was like, "I'm just going to go work in movies." Like, so that right there lets you know you're dealing with a man who has a, a real intelligence about him. If he could study medicine to the point where he was in university, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't want to do it," like you know that the guy's got a depth of knowledge that is pretty amazing. And so he was a screenwriter. So he appreciates and can understand the, the writing process behind it. And to the point where he could trim down a script to the point where, you know, everything that was essential to telling the story, ha ha ha, is still in there. And he knows how to shoot every scene, knows down to how much time it's gonna take, how much it's gonna cost, like all of these things. So you're dealing with a guy who is extremely apt at the process of making a movie and knows everything about it. Not only that, he worked with a lot of the same people. Um, he worked uh, with the same cinematographer for a lot of his movies, um, basically like his movies from the 70s and through the 80s. He worked with the same cinematographer, the same producer. Um, Fabio Fritzi was his composer for a lot of the soundtracks and the, the music, yeah. the music in Fulci movies is 
outstanding. Fabio Brizzi is a fucking genius. And the the way he was able to, to make the sounds that he was making, I was watching um, the extras on the Beyond disc I have. It's got a whole disc full of extras. And one of them was talking about the construction of the Beyond. And Fabio Fritzi was talking about how he was using an instrument called a Mellotrome, which is this weird-looking uh, keyboard-type instrument that you could record sounds on individual tape. And so he would record somebody playing a note on a violin for a few seconds, and then another instrument. He was essentially being able to build an entire orchestra on this thing and just use keys to play out the entire thing. So when you're watching the Beyond, a lot of the sounds that you hear, these weird, eerie sounds, that you're just like you're not really sure what kind of instrument is it's making. That's him playing a fucking keyboard, and he got a woman named Nora Orlandi, I believe her name is. She's just like beautiful Italian singer and is like all in pop music in Italy at the time and everything. And she's one of the main voices at the end. When that theme comes back, it's her voice that's singing this ethereal Latin shit, which I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, but the song that the, the lyrics they're singing at is from like a 14th century song that is about the afterlife the hmm. beyond so it's just like this great like and and fritzy as he's telling this he's like laughing he's like you know like hey i mean it works you know i was like fuck like that's how genius these people are they take these things that you don't think are have any kind of connection to what you're doing and they just and it fucking works fucking works and i will tell you okay it's all kind of like pull back a little bit when you're talking about because I read your review for Zombie and you left out one of the most amazing sequences in all of film history Zombie versus Shark oh yeah <laughs> yeah my bad like, that is that is legit like one of the most beautiful underwater scenes I've ever seen in a movie period it's so beautiful I don't know like what did you watch it on did you watch it on Shudder yes Okay, so I don't know if they if they the the cut that they have is the blue underground like restoration, but I have that and I I uh, I watched it with Caleb uh, right after I got it, and it is legit like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, and that is one of Fulci's strengths, and that is something that I um when I was talking about him understanding um, scripts and things like that, he's taken like the the script down to its bare essentials but then he would add in scenes because he would see something and a lot of people when people think of Fulci they think of eye gags obviously poor <laughs> Olga getting the splinter in her fucking eyeball um, the beyond has got some great eyeball shit in it and that was that was Fulci that was Fulci going okay I want to see this you see this scene right here where this guy gets good I want to see his fucking eyeball pop out of his face and then the producer talks to the special effects guy and they construct the scene based around that gag. And that is one of, one of the hallmarks of a Fulci movie is kind of like the narrative is in service to these nightmarish set pieces where you just have these fucking terrifying, like nightmare fuel, essentially like these fucked up things. 
and it's just the, the narrative is just in service to that it just kind of carries you from one terrible setup to the next that zombie versus shark thing was fucking crazy i was not expecting that like holy shit what is this now and especially when i found out that they used a real goddamn tiger shark yeah for the yeah. scene who does that that's insane you ain't you ain't making a movie like that nowadays absolutely not you would never be able to do that um so that is that is something that shows the balls of them to do something like that and then like just just like knowing that like somebody had to be underwater with them to capture all of that on camera and catch everything and make it look cool and shit and you're just like oh my god like the, I remember the first time I saw it, I had to like look at my friend and be like, am I, am I seeing this right now? Like <laughs> I'm not tripping balls or anything. He's like, no dude, just, this is the best shit ever. And like, I just watched it and it was, my jaw was on the floor. Cause like, you never, you never expect that you're going to see something like that. And then you're just like, holy fuck. Th- yeah. So I had to I, I had to bring that back up because I was like, wow. I think I think Connor should have given it at least one one extra point just for that scene alone. Just for that scene alone. Fair enough. Fair enough. It is you know eventually Cause you'll never because you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. That's true. That is very true. That's gonna stay with me. That's gonna stay with me forever. Uh, but eventually, of course, we will do zombie on this show. And I will have to watch zombie again. So I'm sure, you know, in that second watch, I'll find something. Oh, trust me, you will. I I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> so when you found out I hadn't seen any Fulci, you immediately went to the Beyond. Why? What is it about the Beyond that made it the film you chose for this show? So I think there are at least two, two distinct phases of Fulci that I have seen and that are unique enough that you kind of understand that this guy really knew how to put a movie together. And I'm talking about his, his Giallo movies, which uh, don't torture a duckling is one, which is amazing. It is, it's, it's Fulci like channeling his inner Catholic rage at like how much he hates Catholicism a lot of Fulci stuff, like he's very reactionary to like his own, his own internal, like he, he's kind of like working things out um, in his own personal way when he's making a film. And especially don't torture a duckling is, is really emblematic of that as is the New York Ripper, which I think is like one of the most violent movies I've ever seen and I know kind of like when you were when you were writing about zombie and kind of like how you were like oh man I heard this really fucking gory you know but then you're like it's actually really really slow and it's like I I try not to like overhype these things but there are some really intense brutal moments in this and I don't know what you know about the New York River but it also has it also has the most distracting uh, villain in it. Um, 
the guy that is doing all this stuff, the Ripper, he harasses the police via phone and he has a Donald Duck voice. So right there, right, yeah, right there you're like, because the first time I heard it, I was like, are you fucking, like somebody's fucking pulling my leg right now. No, totally serious. Donald Duck is a fucking serial killer. Um, And it really like, it, it really messes with you because you're like, you have this image in your head and then you see what you see on screen and you're just like, it totally jars you the entire time. So, like, Fulci's Jalo movies. Um, I'm trying to think of another one, but it's escaping me right now. Um, so, his Jalo movies, and then he has his, his essentially, like, I consider The Beyond, and a lot of other people do consider him on be his quote-unquote masterpiece. I think that's Fulci firing on all cylinders in that. Um, City of the Living Dead is a bananas ass movie and i think um house by the cemetery is also very very uh it's fulci kind of like making his own kind of like haunted house type movie um and those three which are comprised the gates of hell trilogy were uh taken and expanded by a small indie comic label called Ibon Press. Big Fulci fan uh, that uh, started the company with some killer artists. Um, I actually ordered um, their Gates of Hell graphic novel. And it is the most outrageous art you've ever seen in a, in a horror comic. It is fucking crazy. They did a zombie graphic novel. Um, they also did Maniac. And they continued a story of Maniac. They did a bit where the Maniac fought the New York Ripper. Like, just all this crazy stuff. It's so amazing. Like, um, the guy that started it, his name is Sean Lewis. He was also um, the owner of Rotten Cotton. Which is one of the first, like, horror t-shirt places I ever started getting shirts from back in the day. So, yeah. Shout out to Ibon Press. I recently got a bunch of cool stuff from them. Uh, they're fantastic. You should check them out. Yes, I'm talking to you listeners. I'm also talking to you, Connor. I've already told Caleb about it. Um, <clears throat> they're amazing. They're amazing. Um, so, yeah, like, the fact that somebody took it upon themselves to expand on Fulci in a comic book, like, that tells you something. That tells you that this guy has had a reach and he's had an impact on people. Um kind of going off on a tangent so you might have to rope me back in as far as like where we were talking um because i could go i could go all night about this stuff obviously i love that there's this you know love for fulci and that extends to you know t-shirts and graphic novels there's this it's it's what i love about horror the sense of community that never stops it's fantastic uh the more horror films i i watch the more i feel know attached to that community and it's, it's great regardless of whether or not the film's good or not i've seen it it's in my mental bank and there we go so i will say that and it's not and it's not that it has to be like this but um horror movies and like horror lovers and things like that they kind of have the, a, a similar a similar way of showing love like the punks do you know, you could walk up to another punk and you've got the same patches on. And you're like, dude, you love that movie too. I love that band. I love that band, you know, and yeah. you immediately click. 
you have common ground. So anytime I'm at a horror convention, I cannot wait to go back. I cannot wait to go back. Um, you have that instant connection. And I think the fact that movies that are in some cases older than we are, we've been able to watch them and we've been able to share them and talk about them with complete strangers. And then by the end of the night, you're best friends and you're exchanging information and you're keeping up with somebody. So a connection has been made because of a movie that, you know, was giving people nightmares. And uh, I don't know if you know this about zombie, but when zombie was originally released, they gave people barf bags. <laughs> I like the gimmick, but no. I will say the first time I watched it, that scene where you find out what happened to Olga after she got the splinter in her eye, that 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 churned my stomach because that was just straight up. And Fulci loves to torture his audience in like he will let things linger. He will let the camera linger and you will just be forced to either turn away or watch. And he's almost daring you. And that's, I think, what I like about him. He's like, I'm not moving this camera. You're going to have to turn away. Do it do it yeah that i can i could definitely see that it that's a that's a vicious scene to me the, the eyeball in the wood was enough like that was holy shit i've never seen anything quite that painful in a long time the fact that he just held it there and kept like pushing it you saw all of it that that is admirable that yeah. they cut that off he he likes to be like unrelenting he really, he really goes the distance with that stuff. And I, I think you don't see that a lot. Like you don't see people and sometimes it is, it is better to leave that to the imagination because what you can show might not be to everyone's, you know, distaste or, you know, something that really makes them go, oh, but Fulci does it. She fucking does it. I'm going to tell you this right now. When you watch City of the Living Dead, there's going to be at least, at least two scenes that I know you're going to be like, what the fuck? Guaranteed. So let me know. Let me know how you dig on that one. Hell yeah. All that reminds me of something that John Carpenter said once when he was talking about um, the production on The Thing. He said Stephen King told him you should never the, the audience should never see the devil like never show the face of the devil however if you can come up with something that's so remarkable so insane so crazy that people are never going to forget it then you've captured something special and I definitely can see that in Fulci his zombie effects are pretty unique like I haven't seen anything quite like that in a long time if ever I mean even Romero like he had his style but it didn't ever seem like quite that bloody it was more visceral but not quite bloody fulci fucking goes for it with the blood i mean jesus <laughs> yeah and actually so to quote his daughter uh antonella fulci she was talking about that and about it, especially in the case of zombie and pretty much any zombie he ever has in his movies um they're not pretty they're they're meant to be the stuff of nightmares um i have the poster for zombie uh 24 by 36 it's a big boy and it's of the conquistador zombie the one who has the worms in his fucking eyeball and i have that one hanging up in my room 
and for a little while my kids were terrified of it they would not want to go into my room and look at it and now my four-year-old she goes up to it and she's like dad is that a zombie i'm like yeah it's a zombie she's like oh yeah he's not scary i'm just like damn it i'm doing it right my daughter points to the conquistador zombie and she's like yeah whatever that's fantastic that's awesome uh i love that <laughs> so we, we we touched on it the beyond is the second part of lucia fulci's gates of hell trilogy following 1980s city of the living dead and ending with 1981's the house by the cemetery uh all fair game for future episodes uh lucia fulci is horror royalty, having been the talent behind such films as Zombie, The Black Cat, The New York Ripper, and, of course, the Gates of Hell trilogy. Uh, Fulci passed away in 96 at 68 years old from diabetes complications, but his legacy is continually felt in horror films today. Uh, he's, pro- yeah, he's the Italian king of zombies. <laughs> and, pretty, and pretty prestigious when it comes to um, the number of films he had on the Video Nasties list too because i'm pretty sure city of the living dead zombie probably the beyond and house by the cemetery i would not be surprised if all four of those were on the video nasties list um that is a personal project of mine to one day own all 72 that were listed though not all 72 are prosecuted by the uh, british film board um for censorship um you know, if you own the Evil Dead, you have a video nasty on your list uh, in your collection. So, you know, feel proud about that, knowing that you have a piece of film history that was deemed too much by our colonial overlords at one point. I, I'm i proud that I have a British Blu-ray of the Evil Dead. Like, that's awesome. Now that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I love that. There's a list like that. The fact, the fact that it, they even like banning movies has always been ridiculous to me in the first place. But it is kind of nice now to have that like, you know, that scar on the permanent record kind of thing. Pretty oh, cool. totally. I mean, it 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 absolutely blew up in their face because it allowed people, you know, it, it gave them something to go for. You know, you told them you can't watch this. They're gonna go fucking watch it. Like. Duh. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it absolutely blew up in their face. I think censorship is a terrible thing. Um, and I don't know if you watched it, the uh, documentary on the last blockbuster. <laughs> I haven't yet. No. Okay, so a lot of people were kind of like being all wishy washy and how wonderful it was that you know there's still a blockbuster around. I'm like not many people are really thinking about the shitty things that Blockbuster did and the fact that they were, you know, heavily censoring things and also basically dictating to their customers what movies they could and could not rent. So, yeah, fuck them. They fucked up. They really screwed themselves by not buying Netflix when they had the chance. And, yeah, they rightfully are where they are Lloyd Kaufman shits all over him in that documentary too it's great it's so great 
he's like sitting there like i have nothing good to say about blockbuster while he's wearing a blockbuster t-shirt it's so good so good that's fantastic i've always fucking hated blockbuster it you know the late fees alone were astronomical and just hateful so yeah i'm glad netflix just wrecked them it's so that whole story is beautiful just yeah and then they made a documentary about blockbuster like salt in the wound so good yeah yeah (laughs) it's a great little aside yeah for sure um so katriona mccall plays liza merrill reluctant demonic hotel owner McCall would appear in the other two Gates of Hell films. Uh, she became kind of Fulci's at one time muse for a little bit. A lot of the cast, like, well, pretty much the entire cast, like, didn't really do much beyond the stuff they did with Fulci. Uh, David Warbeck, who plays Dr. John McCabe, uh, he would also appear in The Black Cat, Twins of Evil, and Duck, You Sucker, before his death in 97 at 55 from cancer. And uh, Duck, You Sucker has always been on my list. I've, I got to get to that one eventually. Yeah, I haven't watched that. Um, I have a huge blind spot for a lot, a lot more black exploitation movies. Um, I, I love movies in general, and I especially love movies that are like on the fringe of the mainstream and kind of take the the mainstream like idea of a movie and then they just warp it to their own needs and they have fun with it and they and they just make their own thing i love that i love that just kind of like saying like yeah while their fingers in the air going ah we can do it too it's great it's great i love it oh yeah it's fantastic you know film has always been for me like the ultimate expression of individual thought and i just i love seeing all these different mindsets visualized throughout time. It's the biggest part of why I adore film and why I'm constantly looking for, you know, the next great movie. Um, And then finally, Cynthia Monreal plays Emily, the creepy blind woman from hell. She's also known for her performances in 1978's Cave of the Sharks and 2000's Turbo, a British miniseries. So like I said, you know, Nobody really worth talking about career-wise, but people who, you know, stand out in these films. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, Catcher on a Call is a mainstay for the Fulci movies that we know. Um, there's also a guy named uh, Ian McCulloch. He was in uh, Zombie. Um, he's also in, I think, one or two other Fulci movies. And he's just got, like, he just has this presence that when you see him, you're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this dude thinks he's badass as fuck, doesn't he? Yeah, of course he does. So, yeah. Um, I can appreciate, you know, those actors for uh, for what they were able to do. Um, Catriona, she, um, she kind of talks a little bit about how these movies were made in that anything that took place in the States was shot first. And so for her, it was great because, you know, she's British, you know, she would rather be close to Europe. Um, So the American stuff uh, was shot first, Uh, pretty much City of the Living Dead. They pretty much stole every shot that they had in that movie. So watch that movie 
and then think about anything you see there they're just stealing it the entire time up to and including like scenes where Fulci um, Fulci does his uh, his best Hitchcock uh, impression and he inserts himself in his movies um, you kind of have to you kind of have to know what he looks like and then you'll see him um, I think in City of the Living Dead he shaves his beard so you kind of have to make sure you're checking him out big glasses and uh, he's uh, I think he's playing like a, it's either a newspaper editor yeah I think he's a newspaper editor in City of the Living Dead um, so you gotta check him out for that and it's so funny because if you know what his voice sounds like and then you hear the dubbing of him it's really it's it's really funny but you're totally like oh shit there's Fulci oh yeah, great yeah it's kind of it's it's kind of one of those things you're watching the movie and you're like all right gotta find Fulci where is he at where is he at so that's great back to what you were saying about Fulci kind of stealing shots in America I needed to bring up a, like the the um, ending of zombie that I thought was hilarious when the zombies are marching on like the Brooklyn Bridge and then beneath it traffic's just moving yeah. as usual. <laughs> Totally, totally just fucking, just, just fucking go, just go, just do this. We got this, you know, like we can go, we can take this in like two minutes. Let's just get everybody out there. Just go and we'll shoot it. Got it. Great. Go. And like the, um, I know you had a problem with it. Um, the ending of the beyond all of that, that entire landscape totally came by accident. Really? We'll yeah, 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 yeah. When we get there, I'll talk about it. Okay. So the Beyond has an IMDb score of 6.8, Rotten Tomatoes score of 67%. On a budget of $400,000, it grossed roughly $416,000. So not great. It was a critical failure as well for the most part. Uh, nonetheless, the Beyond remains one of the most celebrated cult horror flicks of all time getting a UK Blu-ray release in 2020 that features various versions of the film, for which there are more than a few. Uh, it is currently available to stream on Shudder if you'd like to see it for yourself, as is Zombie and City of the Living Dead. So that's your place to go if you want to check out some Fultry films. Yes, and I will also hype up. Um, they, they, they do sell out, but it is worth investigating them when they go for a print. Um, Grindhouse releasing which was started by uh, Sylvester Stallone's son, Sage Stallone. Oh. He started it, and um, they put together a Blu-ray set of The Beyond, which I own now. I had to wait from like two or three different windows when they would print them, sold out, print them, sold out, print them. I was like, fuck you, I'm not losing this time. Um, because they came out at one point, they had like this beautiful like tin box set dvd version of the movie and i'm kind of glad i waited a little bit um comes in a slip cover which glows in the dark it's pretty cool um it's also got a little booklet with uh two essays about the movie and then there is a soundtrack the entire soundtrack to the beyond is on a cd and like i told you fabio fritzi is the fucking man and so to have that is worth the price alone um you get the uh, the Blu-ray of the feature with audio commentaries to go along with it, and then a secondary that is just features. And some of the stuff I want to touch on as we go through this episode 
comes from that and comes from a uh, a response Fulci recorded to a letter where somebody was trying to interview him. And rather than him writing it, he dictated it onto a tape and sent it to this guy. It's from 1988. <laughs> it's got some good stuff in there. Yeah, that sounds like they really went all out on that. I love that. It's another thing I love about horror movies, like the people who create these you know, specialty Blu-rays really go all out to make it a, an enjoyable and rewarding experience. Yeah. Um, Blue Underground, that was started by Bill Lustig, the man behind Maniac and Maniac Cop. Um, he loves Italian horror flicks. And he got the rights to put together Blu-rays for um, not only his own Maniac, but um, Zombie and House by the Cemetery. So I own both of those as well. So I literally have the entire Gates of Hell trilogy um, on Blu-ray. I picked up the Arrow Blu-ray of City of the Living Dead. So I have the entire Gates of Hell trilogy. Um, having those films and like all the supplements and stuff really gives you a much deeper appreciation of these things. Because yes, on the surface of them, you can look at them and you can laugh them off and be like, man, these things are silly. When you really dig into them, you find out that they were made by people who really understand the mechanics of filmmaking from all facets, not just, you know, the, the, the screenwriting, um, the cinematography, the composition of the music, you know, up to and including the way these movies, you know, how they were shot. Like there, there's a comprehensive understanding of the mechanics of filmmaking that went into these things. And I think that's where the real appreciation comes from those things. Not to mention they're fucking entertaining as shit. You can't not have fun watching these movies. True. Very true. Um, so let's get into this thing. Um, from the very beginning, we get this kind of, you know, sepia tone flashback of the house or the hotel and the one artist guy getting nailed to the fucking bathroom wall, which was great. I don't know. Like the hand moved while the arrow went in, like the nail went in. I don't know how he did that. Crucified, crucified to the wall, no less. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the whole time he's like, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> like, I'm the only one who can close it. And they're like, which? And just kill yeah. him. Classic. Classic Man. setup. <laughs> and when he starts melting, the music kicks in. And I love that Shudder says in the subtitles, spooky music with a beat. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, or, yeah, that's that, fucking funny. <laughs> Actually, okay. So that, that bit at the beginning where you're watching them pour fucking... I think it's like quicklime or some shit they're supposed to be pouring on him or whatever. And he's just like foamy and dissolving. Um, they were in New Orleans. So in their off time after they would shoot, they would go to like places where jazz was being played. Um, the cinematographer, um, his name is Sergio. I'm trying to remember his last name. It's like, I'm, I'm not even going to try to attempt it and butcher it. Um, he really loved jazz. And Fulci ended up finding the jazz band that's in one of the scenes. Um, he got them to record a song just for Sergio. And Sergio remembers that 
and he's like that's that's Fulci that's how he was he was very thoughtful and he was very much a really good friend in that regard and I still listen to it to this to this day so like the fact that there are like some kind of like funky jazzy weird like like it, it doesn't make sense to what you're watching because you're totally like what oh god this dude's dissolving but I'm kind of like dancing a little bit too this is kind of cool like I don't even know why I'm dancing but all right I can do this it's kind of funky so like yeah immediately it's brutal like when's the last time you saw somebody get beat with a chain and their skin explodes like that is that is Fulci like he he hyper hyper violence like it is exaggerated it's meant it's meant to be more extreme than the reality because that was a, a quote from Fulci more or less I'm, I'm going to paraphrase in that you know his films were violent but nothing compared to the horrors of reality so like you think about like that's like Tom Savini when he talked about what he saw in Vietnam as a combat photographer everything he made after that that's nothing that's nothing compared to what he actually saw so I think when you have that in your head and you're watching this, you're just like, okay, Fulci's having fun with this. And he's really like, he's really pushing you to like, and like I told you at the beginning of like earlier on, he's daring you, he's daring you to keep your eyes on this. That's always like, you know, the argument people have against horror is like, oh, it's, it's gross. It's, you know, it's scary. And I'm like, it's not real. It is just make-believe. It's all people like having fun with, you know, creatively in the best way they know how. And I've often said there is no more creative film genre than horror. And yeah, you can, I love that Fulci really just like went for it because he was, you know, creative. That's what it comes down to. Um, so after that, we get the opening where they're kind of doing renovations on this hotel and uh, the guy like sees Emily in the in the window and falls off the scaffolding and like his all of his all of his head holes just start bleeding, which was weird. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know how hard that fall was. <laughs> no, no, like <clears throat> I think again it goes back to the exaggeration. Like when somebody bleeds in a Fulci movie, they're going to bleed from every hole they have on their body, and it's going to be ridiculous. Um, just to kind of, you know, let you understand that, you know, this is, this is not the real world. You know, th there are going to be some very fantastical things that happen in this movie. And there's a lot of, I, um, I used this phrase when I was just trying to describe Fulci to you before, where it's like, he's like a real, like almost lyrical kind of filmmaker. Like he's really just, he's he's using images to kind of move you along as you're experiencing his films, you know, like you're not, you're, you're not going to get an A to B to C to, you know, follow the alphabet, like beat by beat through a comprehensive story. You're going to get something that is a frame, which you understand this house is one of the seven, ironically enough, the alternate title for this amongst many other things was the seven doors of death. It's one of the seven doors to hell. So you already like, you, you already understand that where you're at, there's going to be some fucked up shit happening. And if you think about this, 
the moment where Joe the plumber Fulci was fucking calling it how long ago Joe the plumber <laughs> I was thinking about that the whole time right right um, when Joe the plumber goes down there and breaks the wall right by the symbol of Ibon and that's like once that moment happens nothing else in that movie that happens after that like anywhere in the world of the movie makes any fucking sense like once that once that happens once that book is looked at like everything all that stuff that once that book opens up nothing makes sense and when when you think about it in that regard the movie makes sense because obviously once the because think about it with evil dead evil dead 2 when the book is opened and the passage is read all bets are off everything and anything is possible up to and including you losing your goddamn mind and oh by the way when you fully experience the hell that is unleashed on that book the least that is going to happen to you is you lose your fucking sight it burns your fucking eyeballs out yeah so that, that explains what happens to emily why she's fucking blind and then i think it also it also tells you what happens to them at the end they've been there they've they, they, they've crossed that threshold and they've been corrupted by the beyond and as and as i mean because if you think about it fulci's already foreshadowing that when the painting is there it's the painting of fucking hell it's just this fucking dusty dark desolate place and yeah i mean i th i i don't even know if he was even kind of like channeling dante in a way and i'm definitely reaching when i'm throwing that out there because have you read the Divine Comedy? I've read Inferno. So there are parts, especially when he talks about purgatory, and purgatory is is, is essentially people crawling around in the dark. Yeah. You can't see anything around you. It's just fucking just this, and you're naked. It's dark. You're naked. You don't know where the you know you don't know up from down. You're just in this weird fucking limbo. So everything is all about context and when you have that context around in what you're watching even if you're just talking about it after the fact you're like what the where the fuck were they what the fuck happened to them because i was definitely asking those questions when i first saw it i was like wait what the fuck whole they oh shit they went inside the the paint huh you know like all these fucking gears start turning and fucking light bulbs start going off and you're just oh shit and that is one of the things I will always stand behind watching Italian horror flicks is like they're giving you subtle information, but they're also allowing you to do the legwork and try to piece things together. You might not get it the first time. You might not. But when you do, you're like, oh, fuck. It's genius. It's fucking genius. So that's, that's why. No, go for it. Yeah. That's a very interesting way to look at this film that because hell is unleashed, we as the audience are disoriented. That is, that's brilliant. I, was, I've, I did not think about that at all, but that's actually making me kind of think about the movie differently 
And that's smart. That's really smart. Also, the, I love the idea that the horrors of hell are so nightmarish. You literally burn your fucking eyes out. Yeah. Why the fuck not? Yeah. <laughs> it's a brilliant way of telling you, like, telling the audience that hell is scary, in case you didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I will give you this cue for City of the Living Dead. Watch the opening, and there's going to be a moment that's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you because it's fucking obvious what happens, but watch what happens. And then everything that happens after that moment in the beginning sets the stage for everything else. It's literally one, one person's action opens a gate to hell and everything else is fucked up after it. And oh, by the way, it's also very Lovecraftian because the city of the living dead is Dunwich. Okay. Yeah, I've got my own issues with Lovecraft, but, you know, that's for another time. Look, aside from his obvious insanity and racist, xenophobic beliefs, the guy was channeling very universal fears of the unknown, our own mortality as well as our significance in the greater scheme of you know us floating to quote my favorite metal band guar on this goddamn mud ball in the middle of the universe he he's channeling these very universal fears and a lot of the characters in lovecraft are driven totally insane by the truth that they uncover like most of his stories most of his famous ones i'll say are the aftermath of somebody like like you're getting the you're getting the retelling not as it's happening you're getting the retelling of somebody being driven totally insane by what they've experienced something they can't comprehend and i think in a lot of ways that is us trying to confront something that shakes us so much that we have nothing to compare it to. You're just left shattered by something that changes you in a way that you are not even expecting and it horrifies you because it's it's so foreign. It's so strange and weird. And I think that's why his stories still persist to this day. I think the fact that he he has become a genre unto himself, much like Stephen King, you know, like he became a genre unto himself because he was tapping into these things that everybody feels. And I think it's sad. It's sad that it's sad that his legacy is, is tarnished because of his own personal beliefs. But I don't, I don't think he should be dismissed because did you watch Lovecraft Country? Not yet. I have not. Okay. So that is that is somebody taking Lovecraft as a person of color and using Lovecraft in a way to like subvert him. And it's and it's fucking great. Like I, I still want to read the book, but the show is really good in how it handled those things. 
some people didn't like it. I thought it was good. Um, so yeah, when you when you start watching it, let me know how you how you feel about it. But to go back to City of the Living Dead, it is mostly in name only in that Dunwich is the town which evokes the Dunwich horror and this this nightmare thing that happens to the city, which in the film is literally one of the gates of hell opening up and the dead come out and you you're powerless to stop it. Death is coming for you and you can't do anything about it, which is a very true statement of life. Yeah. We're all born to fucking die. And it's like, Oh damn it. When you, when you start putting those dots together, even if it's not like explicitly there and, but it still makes you think about it. That gives Fulci a lot of, a lot of relevance. True, true. And with Lovecraft, I, I'm, I'm all for, you know, keeping the art alive, even if the person's a dick. But to me, it was just, I, I tried to read one of his books and it was just incredibly dense and I, I couldn't do it. That's really well, my only issue with Lovecraft personally is I don't, it took me way too much to get into it. And maybe, you know, that was like five, six years ago. So maybe I've matured enough as a person to tackle it again, but you know, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, and it is kind of neat to see, this is something I always like looking at in pop culture is how different people interpret hell. I mean, you know, hell's such a broad interpretive concept and, you know, Fulci's hell is, you know, zombies and disorientation. Raimi's hell is, you know, possession. It's, it's cool to see these different kinds of hells. And Fulci's hell, now that I'm thinking about that, you know, disoriented audience thing, Fulci's hell is quite creative in that it, draw, it draws, it forces you in. It forces you to participate in the hell. <laughs> and that's cool. Yeah, and it, and it also fucks with you because... At, at one point, I think Catriona McCall's character is questioning her own sanity, like questioning what's happening to her and yeah. what's going on around her. So it's it's really very, uh, very challenging in that regard, in like challenging what you're seeing and what's happening to you because nobody knows what happens when we die. Nobody knows what happens when, you know, if hell really exists and it's a place like what happens when those doors are open and what happens when evil is really unleashed upon the world. And when you start asking these big questions that nobody has a concrete answer to, you have license to interpret it as you see fit. And I think Fulci does a lot of really interesting things with that. I haven't seen uh, the house by a cemetery in a while. Um, I will say that it also um, inspired a, uh, a filmmaker by the name of um, Ted uh, Ted Gagan. He is um, he made a movie called We Are Still Here, which seen has that. yes. Seen that. Okay, so that movie was directly inspired by House by the Cemetery. He, I have interacted with him on Twitter. And he has said as much. Um, he also runs the um, 
with uh, Michael Gingold of Fangoria fame. They run a trivia night through uh, through the internet now um, because of coronavirus and all that stuff. They were trying to find an outlet for it. They found a way to do it online. Um, they're doing one, I think, this Friday that is all horror comedies. So um, they award prizes if you come in uh, certain places. So I do it just to kind of test my knowledge and have some fun. Um, but yeah, I would encourage you to watch House by the Cemetery and then watch We Are Still Here. And you will see literal direct parallels from Lucio Fulci's movie to Ted Gagan's movie. And it's it's great. It's really good. I, I really enjoy um, that movie, We Are Still Here. I mean, it has Larry Fessenden in it. Who is also another um, another very interesting um, indie horror or auteur. I will call him an auteur because I think he has a distinct vision and approach to his movies. Uh, and it's got Barbara Crampton. I'll watch Barbara Crampton in damn near anything. I love her. So, yeah. Revisit right those. It's been a few years since I saw We Are Still Here. I'm bringing up my review right here because I want to see, like, when, when did I watch this? 2017. Okay, so it's been quite a while. Yeah, um, I think it's worth a revisit. Um, do you ever read Stephen King's Revival? No, I have not. That might be my favorite pop culture hell. That was the most creative, frightening version of hell I've ever seen. The, reading that book gave me nightmares. It made me feel uneasy. The ending of that book is the scariest shit I've ever read in my life. Uh, I recommend that one big time. And I am now going to write it down. The very Lovecraftian hell. <laughs> uh, moving back into the beyond. Um, the scene where Joe the plumber, I still, ugh, um, when the hand comes out of the hole from hell and grabs him, that freaked me out. Because that was perfect. Just like that weird calm right before the hand comes out and just squeezes his fucking head till his eyeball pops out. Oh boy, that set the that set a tone. <laughs> yeah, everything everything changes after that. Um, <clears throat> fun fact: the uh, the symbol for the Book of Ibon that has become, you know, synonymous with this movie was actually a shitty home tattoo that Antonella Fulci had on her wrist, and her dad found out about it hated it but as he was doing pre-production for the film told Antonella to come into his study and show one of the uh, I think he was either a, an effects artist or he was a, a set designer and he was like Antonella show him that crap on your arm and she showed him and she tried to show it in the uh, in the in the special feature section that I watched, but it's like forty years old, so it's all blown out, and it's a home tattoo, so it looks like shit. Yeah. But you know, I will take Antonella Fulci's word on this that shitty home tattoo was the result of her giving birth to the symbol for the Book of Ibon, which uh, I'm happy about. 
I've actually thought about getting that tattooed on me as like kind of like my homage to Fulci, you know, without getting something obvious. That's pretty sweet. That's a cool story. I, I love that. And yeah, I think you should totally get that tattoo. It's fantastic. Um, I thought it was weird that nobody really investigates Joe the plumber's death. Like he's just a body in the morgue in like the next scene. Like no one's looking into this. The guy had his head squeezed in a basement and no one's looking into that. Again, nothing makes sense after that. Once that fucking, once that door is opened, I mean, come on. Okay. Spiders. Spiders are eating a dude's fucking face at one point. Like, yeah, that was rough. <laughs> hello. Hello. Not only that, if you paid attention closely to that whole scene, there are literally two real spiders in there. <laughs> Every Everything else is fake fucking puppet spiders. You really gotta, and, and that is another way that the Italians are fucking geniuses. They know that if you put them in the right spots in the frame, our eyes are gonna fill in the blanks. Our brains are gonna fill in the blanks. And you're gonna, oh fuck, they have so many, oh God, oh God. And then, you know, you get these super close-ups of a fucking tarantula poking out and eating a dude's eyeball and shit. And you're just like, oh, gross. Oh, fuck. Oh. Yeah. That was really creative. I, I liked that a lot. <laughs> I was, the scene where they find, like, the other corpse that pops up in the in the basement that then ends up in the morgue, and that one guy wants to put the, the, uh, the brainwave machine on it. Like, Why? So that is supposed to be the uh, the painter from the beginning. That's okay. supposed like after how many fucking years? Like almost fucking what fifty years? He's just gonna be magically preserved. Like okay, okay, whatever. Because it wasn't. I think it was supposed to happen in like the twenties when he died or whatever. And then it's supposed to be like the late seventies, and he's just been fucking hanging out in this mud pit, whatever. Um, the actor that played that zombie had to wear a wetsuit and be in full makeup. And Fulci wanted his body to come up all at once, not like in sections like it normally would. Mm -hmm. So like people had to hold him down. And he said that the water was unbearable were his words, that it was unbearably cold. And they had to do that pop up more than once because it didn't happen the way Fulci wanted it to. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. I, I would hate to be, the, you know, working with a perfectionist on this kind of movie. Holy oh, hell. Totally. Um, my favorite little moment in this movie is it's a screw-up, and it's so stupid because you can tell that they tried. There's a sign over the morgue that says, do not entry. Well, that lets you know. That lets you know that you're dealing with non-English-speaking crew. Right, right away, right away. I know, but it's just, it took me out so fast. And it was, it just made me laugh. I Googled it to be like, is, can you say that? Like, is this, is this, am I correct in assuming this is not correct? And it led me to a post, like a Yahoo answers about that, about the sign in the movie, where they asked the same damn question I did. <laughs> what happens when English is not your first language? I love the scene with Marianne and Jill in the morgue because it's so weird and 
Marianne just getting a giant open jar of acid poured on her face is that was so grisly but so well done because that happens obviously yeah there's just open jar giant cookie jar sized jars of acid just lying around mortu- like mortician's coroner's office that's the one that was weird and then Jill just kind of like staring at it and like the goop coming towards her and then her ending up in the freezer one thing that did bother me though is it felt like Fulci was setting Jill up to be a significant part of the movie. And then at the end, she just goes evil and the dude blows her brains out immediately. Like there was no payoff to that at all. She's a MacGuffin. I'll, I'll just, I'll just throw some fucking Hitchcock terminology out there. She's a MacGuffin. Fuck her. Why not? She's just an, she was probably literally just an excuse at, at one point. Fulci's like, Let's have her head blow up. And 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 that that was something that Fulci was known to do. Fulci was known to just come up with something and be like, I want to do this. Um so I was just looking up the uh the last name because I really I really kind of want to talk a little bit about the cinematography for this. Yeah. Sergio Salvani. That was a cinematographer's name. Um, yeah, very Italian. Um he talked about uh the scenes in new orleans he wanted to use kind of like natural almost warm tones when he was shooting a lot of those scenes during the daytime and a lot of that and then at night and especially when things start getting weird and crazy it was a it's a cool palette and he even said at one point that he was using a lot of gels to you know make the light kind of act in a way that he wanted to if he wanted a certain color on a door he was going to get it and he did a lot of that constructing and the reason why i'm bringing him up is because fulci when he talked to salvati anybody that he worked with really closely he was very friendly with almost kind of like me when when he started describing him if i really care about somebody i am going to bust their balls and talk shit at any point that I can. And if I don't talk shit to you, it's probably because I don't like you that much. Um, I said that to Caleb after one of the first times I met him and I was just like, I was being really relentless with just the level of shit. Like if he told you some of the stuff I'd say to him, you'd probably be like, why did I let this guy on our podcast? Why do I let him do anything with us? He sounds like a total dickhead. But I do it out of love. And I told him that. I was like, if I didn't like you, I wouldn't talk shit to you. So just think about that. He's like, oh, you must really like me then. Yeah, you're all right. I wouldn't go that far. Fucking pull the reins back there, buddy. We're not going to be picking out China patterns together yet. Just slow down. Slow down. But Fulci was very aggressive with his actors. He liked to fuck with them. He called them his puppets (laughs) at one point. Like he He was like, call the puppets and be talking about the actors to get him out there and go do what he needed him to do. So that girl, um, when they're in the morgue and they're doing it, like he's literally like yelling at this girl and like giving her direction as the scene is happening and all this stuff. And, uh, Salvati is saying, that's just how he was, you know, like he, he was all about like, he would yell all the time at the set. Um, yeah. So it just, 
triggered that moment in me when you were talking about the scene and I'm just sitting there thinking about this girl getting pressed up against the wall and I'm just imagining Fulci yelling at her, getting her to react. So there you go. It's so fucked up that he would call them his puppets, hey, especially in a movie like this. Hitchcock called actors cattle. All right. Mm, he's kind of right. <laughs> oh my God. The director always, you know, fucking Genghis Khan on the movie set. Uh, <laughs> it is interesting how when Jill gets her head blown off that it's from the same gun that has just entered, like bullets have just entered other zombies' heads, but her blows it right the fuck up in this gun that has an endless amount of ammo, <laughs> the six-shooter that has a million shots. <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah, I'm, again, all logic goes out the window once that book is open and shit happens. And then the people that are in it are bound by that warped logic. Yeah. So I almost I almost just give them a pass because when you when you really like watch it and you really like look at when those things happen, you're like, okay, so yeah, sure, of course. City of the Living Dead there's going to be a moment where you're like, but seriously, how the fuck is this happening right now? It, it, everything that follows the, to use my film, my film school terminology after the inciting incident in city of the living dead, all bets are off. Logic goes out the window and it is extremely obvious what that incident is. Weed. So once it happens, just turn your brain off. Does the ending of City of the Living Dead involve a couple people trapped in an area where zombies are just pouring in and the guy has a bunch of shots? Because I noticed zombie and the beyond end almost exactly the same way. So I don't think there are guns involved, but yeah, there is kind of like, uh, oh, fuck are we really going to make it out of this moment? There's almost kind of like a semi-siege moment because they're going like deeper and deeper and deeper into uh, essentially hell in this. And so, yeah, it's definitely like, but they're also confronting, like City of the Living Dead has an actual villain in it they have an actual bad guy that they're trying to fight against. I mean, zombie has a bad guy. It's Dr. Menard, but you know, he kind of fucking, he's gone at one point, you know, and and you're just left with the siege of the fucking dead. Um, Oddly enough um, to bring back Ivan, I actually won some free comics from them one time (laughs) and I was reading them on deployment. And one of them is them carrying the, narrative of the zombie movie all the way back to the states and kind of like this you know them kind of you know expanding on the movie and lucio fulci makes an appearance in it as this fucking barbaric ass general it's great it's fun i mean he's drawn so realistic so you know it's fulci yeah so i got to i got to read those while i was on a i was on deployment in 2017 so it's really cool Thank you, Sean, for picking me 
and sending me free comics. Appreciate it. That's cool. Is he just screaming like "Go forth, puppets" or something like that? That'd be awesome. No, no, no. He's just a total like nihilistic asshole. Like every every general, every American general, you know, in a movie, he's he's doing that. He's only out for his his own self interest. That's fantastic. Um, the scene where Dickie the dog rips Emily open was particularly gruesome. Uh, I read in the trivia that that was like, oh, that was intentionally over the top because it was Fulci doing a, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil thing because he goes for the throat. <laughs> and it's it's vicious. I mean, that just, you know, peeling it back, the, the, the dog seems like a really cruel fate for Emily who I kind of got the vibe was trying to help. I might be wrong on that. No, no, she's definitely, I think it's kind of hard because you could kind of read her as almost being like, as being one that's trying to help, but she's also like, she's already been corrupted by it. That's why she's blind. So in a way, I think she's kind of like the crazy Ralph of this movie. She's kind of already telling like, you're all fucked anyway, no matter what you're fucked. Because she shows up on that fucking, uh, on that big ass bridge when they're driving into New Orleans. She shows up in the middle of nowhere. And actually, one of my favorite pictures of Fulci is him in a red sweater. He's literally sitting with the camera framed in that same shot. He's just sitting in a director's chair. Like, I want to get that blown up into a poster. Like, that's... When I think of Fulci, I just think of him in that image. Fantastic. That's awesome. It is weird that Emily just kind of pops up in the middle of the road. But again, this is hell. All bets are off. <laughs> um, one, thing with, one thing I do want to ask, because I figure you might be the one to know the answer to this. It's something I noticed in Zombie and in The Beyond. Why do Fulci's zombies all have their eyes closed? don't really have an answer for that Mm. and i don't know that you could really give any real good answer other than other than if you think about it and they were dead what do most corpses have done to them their eyelids are glued shut because it's a natural and i know this from listening to Caitlin Dowdy, who has her YouTube channel, Ask a Mortician, where she answers that very question. That yes, your eyes can stay open when you're dead. So they, your eyelids sometimes have to be glued shut. So <laughs> that to me is like me just pulling an answer out of my ass. Um, Honestly, it's a satisfying answer. <laughs> that actually makes sense. <laughs> so there you I'll go. Take it. Uh, are there any other scenes you want to highlight from the beyond? So, yeah, um, the ending. Yes. So um, the ending is something that came together purely by accident. They wanted to do it another way where, um, according to the uh, chief screenwriter, uh, Dardano Sacchetti, who had worked with Fulci more than once, um, and... Oddly enough, so to make a quick little tangent, um, the producer, Fabrizio De Angelis, he 
he would go to film markets and he would pull a Roger Corman essentially. He would have a poster commissioned um, and then uh, Sacchetti would do like either like a quick one or two line um, synopsis of what the idea of the movie would be or he would write like a one page treatment and uh, DeAngelis would take those and sell a movie based on that. Kind of like Corman would be sitting in his office and he'd have an idea for a poster and he'd point at it and be like, make that movie. Nothing else, you know? That's like Sean Cunningham with this fucking poster for Friday the 13th. Let's make a movie about that. He would sell movies based on that. And it was, okay, so I'm going to pull a quote from, I think Sacchetti said this about D'Angelis. Yeah, okay. So he said Fabrizio had the amazing ability to smell what was in the air, to understand what was about to happen. So this is a little segue to talk about Italian ripoff movies. And a lot of what those movies did was to um, ride in the wake of popular American movies. Zombie, was Z-O-M-B-I, was the Italian title for George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So, Lucio Fulci's Zombie in Italy was released as Zombie 2. <laughs> England, it was released as Zombie Flesh Eaters. America, zombie. And for Jaws, you had The Last Shark. That was made by Joe D'Amato. That ripped off on a lot of that. And then you had the more obvious and blatant ripoff movie that came much later uh, by Bruno Mattei called Cruel Jaws, which was released as in Italy as Jaws 5 which literally takes elements from Jaws 1, Jaws 3, and I think Jaws the Revenge, and parts of The Last Shark. And, like, like blatant, blatant, blatant rip, like pulling lines from Jaws and putting it into the movie. So, like, there's no way that movie should, should exist. It does. I own it. It's up. It's a fucking hoot. It's a fucking hoot. <laughs> Go to Severin. Check it out. I encourage you to get it just for the audacity that it exists alone. Um, there was a guy named uh, Luigi Cozzi who has a connection to Dario Argento. Uh, Cozzi made his own uh, rip on Alien called Contamination. And so... Um, that movie is fucking that movie's fucking weird in and of itself um, it takes elements of Alien trying to repackage it as an American movie when most of the American shots in New York are from a helicopter other than that it's straight up made in a studio in Italy somewhere but they're trying to trick you that you're watching an American an American movie um, and then there's one called Beyond the Door 
that it had a couple of sequels. I think it got to part three, I think. Um, my buddy Ty can correct me on that, but he did point me to Beyond the Door, which is like an Exorcist ripoff. And it's got some other elements of some other movies, um, but it's primarily like an Exorcist ripoff. So Italy, they were, they, they were doing this to try and cash in on the reputation of American movies and just do their best to, as soon as that American movie came out, okay, what they do? Yeah, 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 that, that, that. Okay, we'll put this, this, and this in our movie slap another title on it that's similar to theirs or just straight up call it a part two part three part four part five and just go for it and when you think about it like that a lot of those movies are you're just like oh fuck really dude like it sounds kind of lazy but in a way these movies are exciting in and of themselves as just an experiment in marketing in you know fucking balls for going for it because you could get sued off the planet and your movie would never see the light of the day. Like cruel jaws should not exist. That like Bruno Mattei should have been sued out of the film business and never should have been able to make a movie again, but that movie exists and I have it and I'm so happy that I have it. Um, so that is just a little like branch into talking about that. So like, uh, DeAngelis went to uh, Dardano Sacchetti and said, okay, this is what we're going to write. Somebody bought the Beyond, the idea of it. He's like, write that. Dardano, in his own words, says the first draft is usually my best. And he wrote it, just went out and did it. Fulci took the script, read it, liked what he read and was like, okay, but I'm going to chop a lot of this off because I know it's just going to take too much time. It's going to take too much money. These are the things I want. Oh, by the way, I want to have this scene in here where this guy's eyeball gets popped out of his fucking head. I want to have this, this, and this, this, and this. Producer, cool. Let's go for it. Like, everybody's working together to try and get this thing made. And it's, it's really amazing to see this collaboration of people and people that have worked with each other before. So go on right back around to the ending of the beyond. Sacchetti had originally written it to take place in an amusement park. And the hell was going to be an amusement park and you're just stuck there. So just think about that. Just think about that idea of hell being an amusement park that you can never leave that's weird and frightening in and of itself couldn't do it they couldn't secure a location for it they couldn't make it happen they just so happened where they were shooting at in the studio at the time back in Italy at that point it was right next to an empty sound stage nothing was in there there's a little bit of dust from past productions in there Salvati's in there and he's like huh why don't we just go over here? Starts talking to the producer. Producer's like, okay, yeah, check it out. Start getting some dirt in there. Salvati starts getting people to hang some lights up. And he starts, he starts to notice something as he has the main lights on that are being rigged up. 
he's noticing that the dirt that was brought in is kind of wet. And as the heat from the light is causing evaporation to happen, you get a little bit of steam from that evaporation. So it's creating this fog that is coming up out of the ground. He figures out that the sounds the 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 sound stage essentially has these large bay doors for trucks and big vehicles to come through and deliver stuff. After he gets enough dirt and whatever in there, he's like, nobody opens those doors. We just come through the people door essentially. And so he gets enough dirt in there. He lets the lights sit on there while they're shooting something else. He'll come back and he'll look at it. It's like, okay, all right. Comes back, goes, shoots a little more, comes back. He's like, okay, spray some water on this for a little bit. Spray some water down, dampen it down. Comes back. Let's put some talcum powder down. Just plain old talcum powder. That's how you get this effect that you see at the end when they're in this. Just a few lights. Everything is just an empty stage, an empty sound stage. And all of the blackness that's there is just the empty space of the room. You see them walking through this into the beyond. And it's all by fucking accident. It's just all just this thing that just happens. It's one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a, in a movie. Just the way it looks. It's just so ethereal. It's so weird. It's also kind of... It's also kind of like tapping into your subconscious of what like this, this void, this place where life and death are just there. They exist and they don't exist at the same time. And then you find out that once you go there, you're forever changed. And you find out, as Catriona McCall and David Warbeck are coming back to the screen, they, they're blind. They've been corrupted by the beyond. And it's just this, it's just this moment where you're just like, oh, shit. And the fact that all of that came by accident, just a happy accident, also shows you that you're working and you're in the hands of true artists, people who are able to pivot and go from something where they couldn't shoot it but then take this moment and they're like this is it this is what we're going to do and i don't know if the painting came before or after i would like to think that it came after the fact because if this is happening as they're shooting it that came after the fact it's even more brilliant because they because they end up matching it to that and you have this graphic match where they are essentially walking into this painting that is another door into this fucking terrible ethereal hell and now I'm just rambling on and I'm just like what the fuck like that's why I love this movie so much and I think if anybody is going to 
cut their teeth on Fulci, aside from watching Zombie, because I will put Zombie on and be like, you need to watch this. If you think you've seen some fucked up shit in a movie, fucking watch this movie. And if your brain doesn't, like, immediately have a light bulb go on when you watch, and you don't have a smile on your face when you watch the zombie versus shark sequence, just stop watching movies. You're dead inside. That's why I love Fulci. Like, that shit right there, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it just... It totally encapsulates the movie. It's it's a it's an ending, but it's not an ending. Like it challenges you to be like, well, what the fuck did I just watch? What the fuck just happened to these people? And the fact that you even asked that in your review, you're like, I I don't even like. It. For you, it was unsatisfying because you had no closure. But it's like, maybe that's the point. Maybe you're left trying to scratch your head by what you just saw. It is. It's it's tough being narrative focused because I my brain will immediately on all of these podcasts will immediately tell myself like this isn't good because there's not a coherent story. And I don't want to think that I'm, I'm trying very, very hard to push through that. And not a lot of films have escaped it. And uh, the beyond, unfortunately, didn't. But I'm sure I'll find something eventually. Some movie is going to be so pleasing to the senses that it just doesn't even register that there's no story. And I hope to find it. I really do. But that is a really cool story about how they manufactured the ending of this film. That that's really neat that they just kind of winged it. <laughs> yeah, they just, they, they just took what came to them and weren't afraid to take a chance. Yeah. Like they couldn't do it the way they couldn't do it the way they wanted to. And somebody who Fulci trusted Fulci worked with Salvati on more than one film and trusted him. And the fact that he would let Salvati do this and it worked out the way it did. Like it's still one of, it's still one of the most haunting images I've seen in a movie. Yeah. I'll give you that. I agree with that. Um, here are a few filmgasm facts for the beyond. Number one, this film was never seen in America in its uncut form until 1998, when Grindhouse Releasing tracked down the original master and restored the film, playing it at midnight shows at selected cities. Quentin Tarantino's Rolling Thunder Pictures released the restored DVD as it was his favorite horror film when it came out. That's cool. So Tarantino was a big help in making this film more widely released. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think because he probably saw it as the seven doors of death that like it, it stuck with him. And I can appreciate somebody like Tarantino being the guy at the video store. Yeah. I have one of my best friends. He's a guy at the video store and he uh, he always he always tells me these terrible stories about people that come in there. Um, one time, there's a guy that's one of their regulars that's a shithead brought in this girl trying to like hype up the store that he works at, and I guess they were playing ABBA, and the guy's like, "What's with the fucking ABBA, man?" <laughs> and they just laughed him out of the store, and I'm just like, "Oh God!" 
this is why I need to become like a silent partner in a place like that because that's eventually hopefully what I would like to have at some point is my own video store because that's my life I would love to sit there and bullshit with my friends watch movies sell movies sell weird books whatever and just and just have fun so yeah Oh yeah, man. I've, I've got a similar dream. I've always wanted to run my own independent movie theater with like two screens in a small town. I, I show whatever the hell I want. You know, I do Fulci week, things like that. Like that is, yeah, I think about that daily, like having that kind of environment that would just be peaceful for me. Awesome. Uh, number two, Lucio Fulci cameos as the librarian who goes out to lunch right before the architect is attacked by the spiders. Guy who's like, hey, we're union, so I'm taking lunch. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, number three, Fulci decided to no longer work for the Italian distributors who produced his film Zombie due to their title fiasco, trying to cash in on the success of Dawn of the Dead. He approached Medusa Distributes zone making this a german production where he intended a the film to be purely metaphysical with only the villain schweik being a zombie however the executives insisted on a zombie rampage somewhere in the film's climax due to zombie being a massive worldwide hit even in germany Fulci was hesitant at first but agreed after being promised creative control over anything else in the film very much like zombie the film was renamed in both germany and the u.s unlike zombie the titles were original and not intended to cash in on other films. In Germany, it is called The Ghost Town of Zombies. In the United States, it was briefly called Seven Doors of Death. He's just, Fulci can't catch a break with his films. He can't get a worldwide simultaneous <clears throat> please. No, and that's kind of the, uh, the downside of these being totally like for commercial profit. Um, a lot of these movies were made like Fulci only made these movies because he signed an agreement to make like four or five movies for a distributor. Uh, and ultimately we don't really know like what a total Fulci movie would have been like. I would like to think that kind of like Hitchcock, he was able to work it to his advantage. And even even though there are kind of like zombies slapped in the beyond, they're Fulci zombies. They're not, they're not something else. They're not trying to match the aesthetic of something else. Fulci's like, okay, you want me to put zombies in there? I'm going to put my zombies in there. And that's what we get. Um, you'll see in City of the Living Dead, like obviously it's about the dead coming to life. Those are Fulci's, those are Fulci's interpretations along with um, the, uh, well, Gennaro De Rossi, I don't know, I'd have to look again, but um, Gennaro De Rossi, I know he did the uh, special effects for Zombie. I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing the other ones for the other Fulci films. So, but I, I would have to go back and look without like planting my flag there and then having the, uh, the internet or anybody else that listens to this calling me out on some bullshit. So it's, I think, you know, he, even if he was hampered by studio interference and demand, he definitely put his mark on these films. He definitely, like, these are his films. And that's, I mean, that's the best we can hope for. Um, I give the Beyond a seven. 
got some grisly visuals, some memorable deaths, but in my opinion, the characters I thought were kind of bland and just didn't do it for me. I, I needed a more you know structured narrative, but that's entirely me. I have no issues with anyone who loves this film. I get why they love this film. And I'm sure one day I'll find something in it that I didn't see this time. Well, I, I think even still a seven is still showing appreciation for what you experienced. Because if you really wanted to hold, and from the day that I joined Filmgasm, I have, I've, I've like looked at like the, the standards for the ratings. And I'm just like, there's so many, like I, like, like if you wanted me to hold Toxic Avenger, like strictly to the Filmgasm rating standards, it would be like a three or four. But when you factor in the enjoyment and the experience that you have out of it, and then my personal opinions on it, it's easily, it's easily a 10 for me. The Beyond is definitely, once I can get to, to writing up a, an actual review of it, is going to be in my hall of 10s. I just, I love that movie so much. And, and then the fact that I found even more that I love about it from the people who made that movie only solidifies my appreciation for it. Um, I am, I'm very happy that you were excited to watch some of these movies and to give me your honest assessment because what I, what I really want to try and do, and, and I've done it with Caleb in a, in a very playful way because I just, I just love his reactions on everything. I love it. Yes, Caleb, I love making you squirm and I will continue to do so because that's the kind of friend I am. You're welcome. Um, and I just, I, I want to be able to like broaden on both ends our our experience with movies and to be able to kind of provide a little bit of background to fully understand something that you know on the face of it you might not have checked out until you just you know you got to it and in a way i want to be able to push some of these things because a they're very near and dear to my heart I really love these kinds of movies because they are so different. Um, I will tell you if you've ever been a fan of like sword and sorcery movies, like Krull, Conan the Barbarian, shit like that, Fulci made a fucking sword and sorcery movie called Conquest. And there are two words that I will have for you to describe that movie. Laser arrows. I'm sold. Yeah. I'm a big sword and sorcery fan. So I will, yeah, I'll look at that. <laughs> it is totally bananas. It, 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 it was following a trend and this is something else I found out. Um, it was following a trend from Italian cinema at the time where a lot of their movies were fantasy action based type flicks. And there was a lot of credit given to Fulci for kind of like, putting his foot down and saying no we're going to do horror movies now and not just like because Mario Bava is absolutely kind of like the godfather of Italian horror movies he's very atmospheric and very 
he's almost, you know, I was having this conversation with my friend Ty about it. He's kind of like Hitchcock and Kurosawa in like atmosphere and form is very central to their films. Baba is very much all about those kinds of things. I'm not very well versed in Baba, only from what the few things I've seen and conversing with my friend Ty, who is well more, um, more well-read on Italian horror films than I am. But he and I have definitely talked about, you know, Italian, Italian cinema and things like that. Um, and um, Fulci, even though he was very much in the latter stages of his career, he was, he was doing things that were kind of like, he was making event movies. Italian, like Italian horror movies are very much event things. Um, if you want a movie that is more about narrative and a story, you're going to gravitate towards American, American pictures, even the American slashers, you know, like they're, they're, they're more about a story and something that you can get into and something you can follow from beginning, middle and end. If you want something that you can put on and you can have fun with your friends and then like you look and you're like, Oh shit. Oh shit. You're going to watch something from Italy. And that is paraphrasing my friend Ty in kind of like what you, what you get from watching an Italian horror movie. Um, I've, I've thrown this out before party movies, like something you can just sit and just have on in the background. You don't really have to sit and kind of like pay attention to what's going on. It's all about the, the visual, the experience of what you're seeing. And Italian horror does not disappoint in that regard. From That's Argento, true. from Argento to Fulci to um, Sergio Martino, um, those kinds of those kind of films, you're you're gonna get an experience. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Uh, you know, we all the cool thing about doing the reviews is we all get to kind of see how we all judge film differently. Because my ten is very different from your ten, which is very different from Austin's ten, which is very different from Caleb's ten. It's completely subjective, and I love that. You know, it's all about our two cents and just what we personally think. And I love that we can continue a respectful dialogue around that. It's awesome. As it should be, as it should be, no matter what. Because like I told you many, many episodes ago, like I might not, I might not always jive with like what you guys appreciate about, you know, mainstream Hollywood Academy pictures and things like that. At the same time, I can absolutely sit and I would love to try and figure out how we can make it happen um, where I would love to just sit and talk with you guys about fucking Spielberg movies, because for better and for worse, like Spielberg is one of the greatest directors ever. And I'm sure I'm going to lose some cool points somewhere with somebody, but I really don't care because the guy was very, was very influential on like my childhood. You know, a lot of the movies I saw when I was a kid, so I have to give credit where credit's due. You know, like the guy was able to be able to find a balance between like story as well as, you know, actual like technique. And he's 
I mean, he's been pretty brilliant. So I'll absolutely give credit where credit's due for certain things yeah. um, and show an appreciation because at the end of the day, that's what we are. We love movies and we love to don't hate me for this. This is terrible. It's a terrible joke. But we all love to goosh our pants and have a little filmgasm. So, you know, like that's what it's all about. It's, it's all about. Oh my God. However, yeah. it's delivered. You know, it's all about that that good feeling we have. That nice warm sensation that flows from our hearts. Oh I'll say that. My God. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the podcast ruined for me forever. Uh, <laughs> thanks guys it's been fun um <laughs> but yeah you know of course you know spielberg influential as fuck i mean the first horror movie i'm pretty sure the first horror movie i ever saw was jaws i have a distinct memory of like six seven years old waking up in the middle of the night to see quint getting eaten on the orca and being not afraid of it more being like what's going on right now <laughs> I, I i'm pretty sure that was my first horror movie but yeah you know these guys have all kind of painted a picture that we're all just constantly admiring and finding new things to like about it. And yeah, I'll, I'm going to continue this, you know, I'm going to watch anything and get my hands on and whether or not I like it or I didn't, I watched it. And you know, that's the most important part is giving this shit a try. Absolutely. And you gotta have, and you gotta have friends that have different, uh, different views and different flavors because I think in, in, in the end, you you make yourself a little bit better because of it. You know, I I love nothing more than to have a friend like Caleb who is enthusiastic. And while he may not have seen everything under the sun, that's that's great, actually, because then I can, through him, feel that experience of watching it for the first time. And it's so it's so much fun, so much fun. I hate anybody that tries to be a gatekeeper and tell you that, oh, you're not a fan because you haven't seen this or you haven't seen that. Who the fuck cares? Like, I don't care when you come to the to the table and tell everybody that you're that you love movies or that you just that, that you really love horror movies. You're here now. That's all that matters. Everybody should be welcome with open arms. And you should be trying your best to just give your recommendations. Like, hey, you like this? You should watch this. Oh, yeah, you've seen that? You should watch this. Oh, hey, did you know Spielberg stole, quote, unquote, the whole day for night thing from Francois Truffaut, who literally had a movie called Day for Night that's all about using that technique. Well, you know, like all these things. And you should just be away of just it showing your love for things yeah liking things is supposed to be fun anyone who makes that unfun is a prick yeah fuck you yeah you guy <laughs> if you're listening to this fuck you i doubt he would have gotten this far he would have well, heard me do the shining and be like this guy's not a fan well i fucking hope not and if you are here right now fuck you say it again <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening everyone uh this was a blast next week we go back to Caleb for a venture into Indonesian action territory. In the slums of Jakarta, an elite squad of police commandos are tasked with securing an apartment building run by a ruthless drug lord. What follows is the fight of their lives in the badass 2011 action thriller, The Raid. 
or as it's known in the United States, the Raid Redemption. Can't wait for this one. It's been years since I watched it. Sure to be a fun episode. I believe we're doing the unrated cut. Fuck yes. I will give Caleb all the credit in the world. He showed this to me when we were on deployment. And so we were probably the most popular guys (laughs) in our birthing because everybody knew you were either going to see something that was going to fucking stay in your brain coming from me or you're going to see something that you're just like, I didn't know you like this kind of shit. And that was Caleb and the raid and the raid tube. Like we watched them back to back. That was one of my favorite days on deployment watching those movies. So that's great. Like I was just fucking fist pumping. Of course, nobody can see this, but yeah, I was fist pumping when you were saying that. It's just like, yes, yes, yeah. Very few movies, very few movies my first time around do I have like that visceral of a reaction where I'm like just grinning ear to ear. The Raid is one of those. So good. When we first started filmgasm.com, when we were just like, we made a pact. We said, we're going to watch anything. We don't turn off any movie. We watch it, we review it, and that was it. Uh, the, the Raid 1 and 2 were two of the first movies we did that we like checked out and we were both like, these are fucking awesome. And it's stuck in my head for years. I haven't watched it since then, so I'm very excited to do this episode. Oh, that's going to be great. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, this weekend on Oscar Sunday, Austin and I are digging into 1999's American Beauty for a Best Picture Showdown. And on Sneak Preview next Monday, we'll be diving into Netflix's Thunder Force. Also, be sure to check in on the Giggle Guys on Friday. You never know what they're going to come out with. Until then, don't renovate a hotel that's built on the gateway to hell. Keep watching movies. And we'll see you next Sunday. I'm sorry, Wednesday. Wrong podcast.